Welcome to the Unabridged Podcast. I'm Ashley. And this is Jen. Join us for bookish episodes and check out our website, unabridgedpod.com, where you can find lots of new bookish content to grow your TBR. Sign up for our newsletter to find out more about online book discussions and upcoming events. Find us on Patreon for extra unabridged content. Join us on Instagram and Facebook at Unabridged Pod and message us there or see our website to get plugged into the Unabridged community. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hey everyone, and welcome to Unabridged. Today is our awards episode. So we are talking about our very special awards for 2023. Before I get started, I just want to remind you all that we have some good stuff going on over on Patreon. So if you want to support the podcast as a benefit, you get an extra episode every month. And we have now started putting a text-based resource on there every month. And that changes each month. So it can be extra book lists, um, just different recommendations from what you may see on our website or in our newsletter. So you can head over to patreon.com slash unabridged pod to see what your options for support are. And you get a little, little thank you in return. All right. Well, we are going to dive into the awards, but first we're going to do our bookish check-in. Ashley, what are you reading? So one I just started, thanks to Libro FM and their ALC program, is Allie Hazelwood's Love Theoretically. Jen, have you already read this I one? have, yes. Okay. Uh, so I had been excited to see it. I've only read one. No, no I've read two of her other ones. And I really enjoyed them. I think I always love the dive into academia and what the realities are like for people. Like in this one, the main character is an adjunct professor and how the reality is often very different than maybe the glamorous idea that people have on the outside. And so I think she does a really nice job with that. But in this one, Elsie is the main character. Again, I've only done a tiny bit. And so right at the beginning, she is a theoretical physicist. And she, and she's an adjunct professor. And so she is working at all these universities. She's teaching like nine courses. She's making virtually nothing. And again, I think right at the beginning, you get this clear depiction of the fact that she does not make enough by a landslide to even get by. And so because of that, she has this rather unusual side hustle of being a fake girlfriend for people. And so they can hire her out. Her claim is that she is very forgettable and and malleable. And so she feels like she has like virtually nothing about her stands out. And so she can just blend right in and people are never going to remember anything about her. And so because of that, um, she is, has this has this side job where she will go and to the dinner and pretend to be the girlfriend or whatever thing needs to happen. And then at the beginning, you see that she's going on one of these with her policy is to not have repeat customers. But she does have this one guy that she really gets along with well, they're good friends. And so he needs her to keep pretending to be the fake girlfriend and she keeps going. And so they're at another gathering and she has this kind of awkward encounter with the brother, Jack. So she has this awkward encounter. She clearly doesn't know anything she's supposed to know because, again, she's faking it, but usually she manages to avoid awkward conversations that get too deep, but she kind of blows it and is like, "Uh uh-oh, I probably made a mistake. And then the last thing that I have seen, so that scenario happens, and then the last thing I see is that she has a very important 
She is one of the top candidates for a tenure track job post, which is really desirable and, of course, would get her out of her adjunct life that she is desperate to get out of. And she would have a lot more professional stability. So that's coming up. And so she is getting ready. And the only thing I've heard so far is that she is heading to the dinner with the MIT committee. And the person who is the chair wanted to speak to her in advance. And so I stopped right where she is walking into that dinner to find out what it is that they wanted to warn her about or tell her about ahead of time. So, so oh yeah, gosh. the makings of a great story. <laughs> that is such a fun one. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. So again, that was Allie Hazelwood's Love Theoretically. And I was going to say you were in such a good place in that book. There, Yeah, there's <laughs> so much fun stuff to come. I really like her. And they get a little, I, I mean, there's definitely a formula there, but it's such a satisfying one that I'm, I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've enjoyed the other ones I've read so far. And and I do sometimes a little predictability is also nice. So uh, what about you, Jen? What's your what is something you're reading? I am reading Sophia Sinclair's How to Say Babylon, which is a memoir. I'm listening to this one. Um, Sinclair does read it. And wow, this is a brilliant book. It's compared to Tara Westover's Educated. And I do think that comparison is a good one, though Sinclair's story, it has some of the same outlines as Westover's, but it is quite, quite different. So Sinclair is the oldest child in a Rasta family. And I will say I have learned a lot about the Rastafarian belief system. And Sinclair talks a lot about the way that shapes her family, her father, when she's young, she feels very supported by her parents and she really loves her upbringing, but her father faces some challenges in his life that then he, he does not deal with failure well. And he starts turning that on his family and especially on his children and really exerts a lot of control over Sinclair's mother and then on Sophia and her her three siblings. And you see the way when she was young, they really encouraged her parents really encouraged her to be educated and to learn just voraciously. And then as she gets older, there's no plan for them. There's no thought of what is going to happen once they become adults, because her father is so invested in controlling every element of her life. And it is really powerful. So Sinclair is a poet, and I'm at the part now where she's starting to come into her own as a poet, and you can definitely hear that poetry in her writing. So it's a beautifully written memoir. Again, hearing an author, especially a poet, read their work in their own voice is amazing. Her story is really tragic in some spots. So parts of it have been difficult to listen to, but it's also beautiful. And because I know where she ended up, I have hope. I just am not sure how she's going to get there. So yeah, that is Sophia Sinclair. Oh, I should explain how to say Babylon. So Babylon is what her father calls the culture outside of Rasta. So the expectations that outside society might have for his children. That's Babylon, the things that you're tempted by. And so, yeah, I think it's quite a powerful title. So yeah, it it has been a great read so far. Man, I hadn't heard anything about that, Jen. It's really recent. I'm hoping it will get some attention. You never know what the Times releases fall in the year, but it's really, I think you would love it. It is so, so good. It's in, um, add it to my list. Yeah. It's on Scribd or uh, that's now changed. It's, Everand. 
Yeah. Uh-huh. So. All right. Well, I think I said last year, I may have used this exact phrasing that we always approach the awards episode with excitement and trepidation. And I think we feel that way every year because you're trying to boil down a year of reading into just a few book picks. And it's hard to recognize all the books that you want to recognize. But we're going to try to do it once again. We always cheat a little bit because we do have blog posts where we can highlight other books that we don't name on this episode. So if you read our blog, be sure to follow along there. And we are planning to put some bonus picks on Patreon as well. So we keep finding ways to like expand, <laughs> expand our picks. <laughs> but for today's episode, we will each be talking about three books and we make up our own unique categories. So, Ashley, what is one award you would like to give? I am (laughs) that one of them I would like to share is best historical fiction love story within a spooky read. I listened to this thanks to Libro FM in October specifically as a spooky read, and I immediately, upon starting it, realized one, it was very much a love story. And two, that it had a very strong grounding in historical fiction and that the setting, which is in the 1840s in Mexico, was a very important part of the story. This is Isabel Cañas's Vampires of El Norte. I listened to this thinking, obviously, based on the title, that it would be about vampires, but it is really about the struggle for land in the 1840s. It is about the tension between the Americans who were trying to claim land in Mexico and the Mexicans along the border who are trying to defend their homes. And it's so much about that. And it's also about ranch life and the way and the hierarchy within the class system and the way that people who are landowners have wealth and authority, that the vaqueros, who are the people who care for the, you know, care for the animals and who work the land, that they do not have that agency. And so it's a lot also about that. And I mean, I was completely captivated from the moment the story starts all the way through. I thought it was phenomenal. I know that Jen shared about Isabel Cañas's The Hacienda mm-hmm. for spooky for the Spooky Reads episode this year. And I was interested when she shared that, but I just I had never read any of Cañas's stuff. And I mean, I will definitely be reading her backlist because I just thought it is spooky. It does have paranormal elements in it. But I think the thing that I was so captivated by was how she was telling such a richly woven historical story that also is a love story that also has these paranormal elements in it. And so I just thought it was fantastic. So I wanted to choose that as one of mine. I think I was really surprised by it. I just, like I said, I started maybe like two days before Halloween or something. So I was just sort of doing it because I was like, (laughs) oh, this one looks spooky. I'm going to listen to it. And then I just was so swept away by how complex the story is. There's just so many really, really amazing characters who are 
really complicated. And like I said, there's just so many systems in place and those are really complicated too. And so this is a mid, I mean, there's, there's war, there's conflict between people within the same side. And so I think, you know, all of that is going on and it just is really well told. And an important historical part of our history that I just don't know a lot about. So it also was that, that I think that it is just all of the things that were happening at that time that we're taking away people's rights in people's homes. And so that's part of some of what's going on there too. So again, that was Isabel Cañas's Vampires of El Norte. And it I gave it the award Best Historical Fiction Love Story within a Spooky Read. I really want to read that. Yeah. And and I have it thanks to Libra FM. So yeah, I, I'm sure I will get to it soon. But it's great to know that the Hacienda was not a one-off. And that, yeah, you really loved it. So we'll just have to book swap. Her, her there you works. Go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah. I will definitely be reading her other one because I just was like, man, this yeah. is, she's such a good storyteller. What about you, Jen? What is one of your awards that you are going to give? So I've, I've already raved about this book and this series, but I'm going to do it again. I chose my, my award is favorite cozy sci-fi. Who knew that was a thing? <laughs> and it, I'm giving that to... <laughs> Becky Chambers's The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet, which is the first book in her Wayfarer series. So I'm sort of like subtly recommending the whole series right now. But I'll, I'll just go ahead and focus on the first book. So The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet is focused on a spaceship called The Wayfarer. It's one of those books where there's this found family element because of the crew coming together. They spend a really long time together on this ship. And they do become a huge support system for each other. And the book begins with a focus on a human who becomes part of the space crew under kind of strange circumstances. Um, So she's not the most experienced person, but then you're seeing everything through her eyes. So you're learning about how the ship works and how the crew works together through the eyes of someone who has not had a lot of experience either working on a spacecraft or dealing with other species the way she has to now. And the thing I love about this book and the series as a whole is just the expansiveness of acceptance. And I really love it because as it's exploring, as Chambers is exploring all of these different species from all of these different planets in the solar system, other solar systems too, who have different cultures and different ways of life. You can see that the people who are getting ahead are the ones who are eager to learn about other people, other beings, I'm going to say people as all sentient beings here, and who are just willing to accept that everybody is not the same. And so there's an exploration here. Humans, I should say, are not the dominant beings in the solar system. Everyone sort of sees them as falling a little behind a lot of the other species, which I also think is really, you know, yeah, you can see why that happens. And there's an exploration of different types of sexuality and different ideas of gender and of race. And there are other species that have different hierarchies amongst themselves, some of which don't necessarily seem great to our eyes, but it works for them. And I just think learning about it is like the best kind of sci-fi world building. But Chambers also definitely is sharing a message here. The series is an anthology series. So these characters 
some of them appear again, but it's not in the same configuration. So there will be moments that happen in some of the books that then other books reference. But I picked this one up, just expecting it to, to read this one and then put it down and read some of the others later. And I blew through the whole series in a month because I just love the way Chambers sees the world, the, the universe, so much. And I think even if you're not a sci-fi fan, this is worth picking up because again, I'm, I'm calling it cozy sci-fi. I've seen some other people refer to it that way because it's not so much about the science as it is about the, the beings who you are experiencing. It's the focus on personality and people again, in the most expansive definition of that world. So yeah, I just loved every single thing about it. Wow, that is a stellar recommendation. Oh, I guess I should restate my award and my, sorry, Ashley, I will restate my award, my (laughs) official award. So favorite cozy sci-fi, who knew that was a thing? Becky Chambers is the long way to a small angry planet. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love that award title. And I definitely want to check those out. I don't know. Did you read Douglas Adams' work, Jen? I've only read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I haven't read the rest of the series. Yeah, I haven't read all of them. I've only read some, but I loved those for a similar reason. But I think that I that's been a long time, and I mm-hmm. would love to pick this up. I think these are a notch less zany than those. But yes, I think the spirit is similar, mm-hmm. just based on what I've read of that first one. Yeah. So, all right, Ashley, what is your second award? So, Jen, you just mentioned found family in your Becky Chambers book. My award is Favorite Found Family Book, and this goes to Sunju Mandana's The Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches, which is quite a title. <laughs> and this one, I apparently the spooky read season was a good season for me, but I think the reason I wanted to share this one is because it is very much about how... We live within the rules that have been set for us, and we kind of do it without thinking. And so, for example, um, Mika is the is the protagonist here, and she, because of the guidelines for witches, she is a she is an actual witch. She does have magical powers, but she both lives alone because of that, and she does not ever connect. There's like a monthly meeting with the other witches in Britain. She only sees them once a month, and it's a very like, they if they cross paths elsewhere, they wouldn't even act like they knew each other, and that kind of thing. And it's because they don't want to draw attention to their abilities, and also because when they're together, their powers are actually stronger. And so there are these reasons that they are supposed to keep their distance. But because of that, and because she never tells people about her abilities who are not witches, she lives a very lonely life. And so, and there's also a a component of she was orphaned as a young child. So then she was adopted by a witch, Primrose, who is important in the book. But Primrose never raises her herself. She has all these series of nannies and people who care, who are her caretakers. But every time any of them see anything unusual or something like that, Primrose erases their memory and they get someone new. And so she just kind of floats along her entire 
childhood and adolescence with no real connections with anyone. And so she becomes an adult who, while having a very positive attitude, doesn't really have any connection to people. And so, you know, it's very much a book about how we live the way we live, but then sometimes we realize that maybe the way we're living is not fulfilling. That is not what we want. And so that's the premise. And then what winds up happening pretty quickly is that she has this online presence where she pretends to be a witch. So she she is a witch. She does have magical powers, but she has this like hocus pocus kind of thing that she just like acts like it's all, you know, playful, but she does these things on there. Well, she gives this mysterious message. It's clear that the person thinks she's a witch and actually like has an idea that maybe this is a real thing and she really is one. And so she winds up acting upon this message and it takes her to this place, Nowhere House, which is an estate. And the house is hidden, as the name suggests. And they have three young witches who are living there. And then the person who contacted her is one of the caretakers. And so there's like four of these caretakers who live at the house and, you know, they they tutor them, they take care of them, they do all the things for the girls. And then the girls live there together as sisters. And so all of a sudden, Mika is seeing these young girls who have each other and a family and that they despite all these rules and regulations, have managed to not be alone and to have people who care for them. And so it's the unfurling of that. And, you know, you can imagine there's some conflict that comes because of the rules and guidelines that dictate all this stuff and then the way that this family and house is is operating. But I think that what I really loved about – I thought it was a phenomenal book, and I think a lot of what I loved about it was just – this idea that we sometimes get entrenched in the way that things are and don't always think that maybe they could be something that's different than the way that they are. And also it's just, it's one of the books that I would want, I wanted to hug it. I mean, you know, it's just a very, it's a very sweet book about people who, because they have each other, their lives are so much richer. And so I thought it was great. I've, I've just really thought I had heard not a lot about it, but had seen it. And actually, I thought the title was really strange, but had heard people say that they really enjoyed it. And I was enchanted by it. So again, the award I gave was Favorite Found Family Book. And that is Sunju Mandana's The Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches. That sounds so good. When I saw your review of it, yeah. I immediately, it was already on my list because I feel like I've been seeing it some places, but yeah, I didn't realize what it was about and it, yeah, it just sounds so wonderful and heartwarming. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It was a good one. It's a good one for the winter. So if you're listening now and you're looking toward good winter books, I think it's a really heartwarming one and uplifting. Yeah. That sounds great. (laughs) What about you, Jen? What's another award for you? So this award is Best Moment of Bookish Synchronicity. So I'm giving this officially to Anthony Ray Hinton's The Sun Does Shine, How I Found Life and Freedom on Death Row. And this is Hinton's memoir. I'm going to read this directly from the synopsis because I don't want to get it wrong. So he's on death row for 27 years. And of his fellow inmates, 54 of whom were executed mere feet from his cell. And so 
he is a man. I mean, he was, he's later released. We know this from the beginning that he is eventually released because he was imprisoned and put on death row under the shadiest of circumstances. It was apparent from the beginning that he had not committed the crime of which he was convicted. But his story is interesting. So I read this one in print, though I've heard the audio is great. And when he first gets to prison on death row, he basically takes a vow of silence and just he feels so betrayed by the criminal justice system and so betrayed by the people who are supposed to have done right by him that he just will not speak. But then after he's there for a while, he begins to make connections with these other men on death row. And it sounds strange to say that it becomes a very powerful, positive book. And it is in no way empty, right? It's not this And then everything was okay because I tried to be happy. Throughout the book, Hinton balances this acknowledgement of the injustice that was done to him and that is done to so many people with the fact that once he starts making these human connections in some really strange ways, because the men are not, they're not supposed to forge connections. They're supposed to be separate, but they find a way to support each other. And because Hinton clearly helps people make their way through their time on death row, which makes them easier to deal with the guards a lot. Like he starts a book club at one point in the book, the the guards allow him to do some things that are unusual watching him balance the constant fight to prove that he was not guilty with this acceptance that he has to do what he can to make his time on earth as positive as possible. Even if he's spending that on death row And you see the way that affects his family and his friends and the people who are visiting him this whole time. It's just, it's a heartbreaking book and a heartwarming book all at the same time. The synchronicity part comes in because, so Brian Stevenson wrote the introduction because Stevenson became his lawyer. And if you've listened to the podcast for a while, you know that Brian Stevenson's Just Mercy is one of our all-time favorite books. It's one of my all-time favorite books, just flat out. And Stevenson's presence in the book and in Hinton's life makes a real difference to his case and just reinforces the brilliance that is Brian Stevenson. The other interesting book of synchronicity is that the ghostwriter for this book is Laura Love Harden. And I also read her memoir, The Many Lives of Mama Love, a memoir of lying, stealing, writing and healing just this year as well. And so I read her book right before I read Hinton's book. And it was so bizarre <laughs> to be reading her book where she writes directly about ghostwriting Hinton's book and trying to get his voice right and sitting down with him so often so that she could make it sound like him. Anyway, it was just this really interesting trio of books that all wove together. Hardin fully admits that she committed the crimes of which she is convicted. And she does this great job of examining what led her to make the decision she made. So they are quite different memoirs, but just both of them take a really hard look at the criminal justice system. But yeah, Hinton's, I think if Stevenson's Just Mercy at all resonates with you, reading it from the perspective of someone that Stevenson worked with is well worth doing. So best moment of bookish synchronicity, Anthony Ray Hinton's The Sun Does Shine. 
Oh, Jen, I still have not read that, but it is the physical copy is on my shelf at home. So I will have to pick that back up because I have it's been on my TBR both in my mind, but also like physically <laughs> for quite a while. And I really want to get to it. That sounds amazing. And how interesting to read to think about all those together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an amazing, amazing book. And, you know, he exits death row with this this fire to make a difference for other people. And I think I just really, I just really admire him because he could so easily have been embittered by the experience and he is angry, but he, yeah, again, that balance, I just think is amazing to watch develop. All right, Ashley, what is award number three for you? (laughs) It's always hard for us to narrow it down. The last one that I went with for this is prize winner. I'm so glad I read And that goes to Barbara Kingsolver's Demon Copperhead. So I talked about this one briefly as a book of a check-in when I was reading it. And I wanted to circle back to it because I think sometimes I'm intimidated by award winners. This one won the Pulitzer. And I think that because they're often they're long and sad and um, some other things that it's not that I don't think they're going to be good. It's just that sometimes I'm like, am I ready for this? I don't know. But I love King Solver and I really was interested in in what this was about. And so I did dive in and I'm so thankful that I did because I think that so this is very this is the story of Demon Copperhead. That's his nickname and he it's very much his coming of age but it's also about how much our life circumstances shape who we are and it also is about poverty poverty in rural appalachia and it's also about the opioid epidemic and the victims of that and so i felt like i think why i wanted to share it as one of the awards is because Demon, Damon is his real name, and he is a character who absolutely stays with you. He just comes to life in the book, and he stays with you, and he does all these amazing – like, he is an amazing person who – I mean, it's – it is fiction, so I do not want – I was about to say it, but the memoir that you were speaking of, Jen, reminds me of people in hard circumstances who – find ways to be really hopeful amid horrific circumstances. He definitely faces some really horrific circumstances, and yet he is eternally optimistic. And at the same time, he's very realistic and pragmatic about the way the world is. And yet he's just, his light never goes out. I mean, it's kind of this just like, it's such a hopeful book. But also, I think what I was impressed with and part of why it resonated so much and I wanted to share it in the awards episode is because I felt like King Solver spoke to so many profound and huge, like wide sweeping issues all within this one character's story. And that's very tightly woven and very focused on him. And I think that was really impressive to me that like, it's both this like very deep dive into one person's life. And simultaneously, it is just a sweeping commentary about so much of what it is like to be from a rural background, what it is like to be poor, what it is like to have every single card stacked against you, and also how a lot of times that type of poverty is dismissed. 
And so there's also that, that, you know, there's, we see his contrast, like the contrast of his poverty to other types of poverty in the book. And I thought like all of that was just really, really well explored. And then again, like having read Dope Sick, Beth Macy's Dope Sick before on the podcast and having looked into the opioid crisis from other angles, I think I really appreciated how, while this is not exclusively a book, because again, it covers a lot of things, it's not exclusively a book about the opioid crisis. It is a book about what some of those towns look like at the height of that crisis and how every single teenager and every single person in their early 20s was strung out on opioids and how realistic. I mean, I just felt like that part is only one part of a very expansive book, but it really resonated with me having read other things that spoke about that in a different way and just how we're continuing to suffer the repercussions of that as a society in the U.S. So again, that is prize winner. I'm so glad I read. And that is Barbara King Solver's Demon Copperhead. Oh, I'm so glad you highlighted that one. That one was, yeah, that one might've been on my list. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you represent it because yeah, it is just an amazing work. King Solver is just one of those authors who I want to read every single book because she's always pushing herself to do something new And yet there's this thread that runs through them all of just eloquence and the ability to look at the reality of life without making you feel like you just want to crawl into a hole. Yeah. Yes, right. That I mean, that was part of it for me with this book is that I mean, again, I think part of why I was I had some trepidation is because I expected it to be really, really dark. And I think it is. There are so many horrific things that happen to him and at a young age. But at the same time, there's so much hope amid that, that I think is just really amazing. So that's a good one. (laughs) What about you, Jen? What's your third one? So my third one is the award I'm giving is favorite audiobook and tribute to a classic. And I'm giving this to Ann Patchett's Tom Lake narrated by Meryl Streep. And I picked this up. So I, I love Ann Patchett's work and I love Meryl Streep, but I had no idea the magic this book would be. I started listening one day and I had a hard time doing anything else because the way Meryl Streep brings this story to life is just unprecedented for me in an audiobook. And I love audiobooks, but this is on a whole other level. So Tom Lake, it is a pandemic novel technically, but it, it doesn't feel like that. But it's about a mother and her daughters trying to pass time during the pandemic. So Laura is the mother and her daughters have long known that when she was young, she spent some time with this movie star when they were in a production of our town together at Tom Lake, which is this place that has a theater where often they'll get people who are on their way to stardom or people who have been stars in the past and are sort of their careers are on their way downward they'll come to Tom Lake and be in a performance. And so Laura just happens to be there at the time that this up and coming movie star is there as well. His name is Peter Duke. And the girls have never gotten the full story. They know that he was their mom's boyfriend, but this is the perfect time for her to tell the entire story. So Laura and her husband and the girls own an orchard And because of the pandemic, they are not able to hire the staff that they normally do. So while they're out picking the fruit, Laura is 
flashing back and telling them a, a subtly filtered story because she doesn't want to describe all the sex stuff of her time. <laughs> and she tells them that she's like, these are things I'm not going to talk about of her time with Peter. And because they had this awareness, the girls in some ways have seen themselves in relation to this mother who had a relationship with this famous actor and Laura knows her daughter so well. So she knows the parts of the story that will resonate with them. So her oldest daughter was at one point convinced that Peter was her dad, was her biological father. One of her daughters is trying to become an actor. Of course, during the pandemic that is shut down. And then the other daughter is very different. And so she is in some ways the source of comfort to Laura. And it's just the coziest, warmest, story. I I just don't even know. I cannot put into words why this book is so magical. Laura plays Emily in Our Town. And there is very much that she's taking from Thornton Wilder's consideration of how fleeting life is and how much you need to cherish it while it's happening because it can go so quickly. That is just this perfect commentary on I think what a lot of us were thinking during the pandemic, a lot of the realization of the moments we have with family that you can't take for granted. So because Laura's three daughters are all adults, they're not all often there together, especially for such a long time. So she's also, of course, she's sad and she's worried and they don't know what's going to happen with the orchard, but she's also cherishing these moments with her daughters that she didn't think she would ever have this much extended time with them again. And so there are parts of it that really stuck with me as a mom with a son who's a junior in high school. (laughs) There are parts that I'm not quite ready for the full on pandemic book, but it's, it's like edging into that consideration of the pandemic that I think literature will need to do probably soon. And it, you know, our town is a play I really like. It's not one of my favorites, but the way Patchett writes about it, it points out the parts of that book that I love the most. So yeah, it's just, and Meryl Streep, I mean, and it's dumb to say Meryl Streep is brilliant because of course she's brilliant, but <laughs> there were just line readings that I was like, oh, Meryl Streep. Like, just, <laughs> she's so good at bringing Laura's voice to life. So yeah, I just loved it so much. So that is favorite audiobook and tribute to a classic and Patchett's Tom Lake narrated by Meryl Streep. You have to do the audio. man Jen that sounds so good I'm thinking I've got to read all three of the (laughs) of your picks here so I've got some reading to do I like that they're why like you've covered a lot of different areas also but yeah that sounds so good and also like a good winter read so yes maybe I'll be listening to that soon yeah I will almost use the word cozy again because I do think there's a coziness to it even though it does not take place during the winter but yeah Mm -hmm. it's lovely Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up our awards a- again, except for the other places that we'll chat about other awards and kind of <laughs> keep expanding the books we want to highlight from the year. But yeah, we made it. Woohoo! 
<laughs> all right. Well, as we always, always cheer ourselves on for this one. I know, right? <laughs> I hope you all enjoy listening. I know I love it when other people pick awards. It is very stressful to be the one picking the awards, I have found. Yeah. So. Well, we get an award for doing the awards. So <laughs> there we go. Pat, That's Pat, Pat. right. <laughs> um, yeah. So thank you all for listening. As always, we'd love to know what you thought of any of these books if you read them. We do want to end with our spotlight. So, Ashley, what's one thing you want to spotlight this month? Well, we are recording just a little bit in advance. So I am still soaking in time in Madrid. And something we discovered recently is we we love churros y chocolate here. So that's like the sort of fried dough that you dip in this like hot chocolate sauce. And we've had those at a lot of churrerias around town. But we recently discovered one that is Valor is the company. They are a brand that sells chocolate and they have a churreria. And I, we went today. So it's afternoon here. We already stopped and I was like, oh, I should say. And so Valor is a chocolate, B-A-L-O-R. is a chocolate brand and you would be able to get it at international markets, places. I did look. It seems like it is expensive on Amazon, but mm. available. And so I just wanted to recommend Valor chocolate is phenomenal and i haven't tried this yet myself but they do have a bar that is made for melting for the Mm. purpose of dipping so i will definitely be trying that because i find that theirs is a excellent consistency and just really delicious so that's my spotlight oh my gosh that (laughs) sounds amazing very good good chocolate what about you jen what's yours I'm going to spotlight scattergories so if you haven't this game has been around for a long time it is a board game And if you haven't played, you basically have all these wacky categories and you have to come up with words that start with a particular letter. So you have a 26 sided die, you roll, you get the letter, and then you have to come up with a word for every category that starts with that letter. And then you're competing with everybody else to get answers to the category. So let's say it's boy's name and you have a P. If you put down Peter and somebody else puts down Peter, it doesn't count. So you want to get an unusual name but you're trying to fill up all the 13 categories and it's so much fun. So my younger son has been a little young to play and there are still some categories that are a little older for him, but he discovered it this summer when we were on vacation and we've been playing and it has been so much fun and just my kids are creative and it's so great to see the way their brains work and the answers they come up with that I would never have thought of. So if you haven't played Scattergories or you haven't played for a long time, pick it up. It's it's a lot of fun. I love that. I we I think mine are still probably a little young for it, but I love the idea. And that is such, it sounds like such a fun word game. So. Yeah, it's really fun. It's it's yeah, it's a good one. So, all right. Well, thank you all again for listening. We appreciate you so much. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnabridgedPod or on the web at unabridgedpod.com for ways to support us. To get more involved, you can sign up for our newsletter, join a buddy read, or become an ambassador. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.